What happens when God chooses people, but they don't choose Him? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. That question may put a kink in our theology, but there it is right in the second book of the Bible. God chose a group of people. He was in the process of delivering them from slavery in Egypt. And, well, let's just say they were less than enthusiastic and grateful. This bunch had a problem that Moses couldn't solve, and we began to talk about it yesterday. Here's Pastor Jim with the conclusion of that message. Moses' achievements are remarkable. But Moses' failures are extremely significant. See, Moses didn't have the power to get inside the people's hearts, inside the people's heads, inside the people's souls. Moses didn't have the power to somehow change them from the inside out. He could give them laws and directions and organize them and do all the things that he did do. But Moses himself did not enter the land. Joshua had to do that. Because Moses himself, as mighty a man, as faithful a man as he was, Moses needed a savior too. That's the point of the passage. But the point of the passage is that what Moses couldn't do, Jesus does do. Jesus didn't come and give a new law. He didn't come and give a new teaching. He came and revealed life. He came and met the challenge of sin and death and provided a new life, a life that would be energized and animated by the Spirit of God. That's what the gospel is. That's what the new covenant is. It's when God writes his laws in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When God himself comes to enter our lives by the Holy Spirit so that we have an inner basis, an inner strength. We have an inner energizer who is able to help us overcome temptation, frustration, all of those things. Moses couldn't do that. Everything that Moses did led people to understand they desperately needed that kind of a savior. And we're going to see that. Everybody knew that they needed something Moses couldn't give them. Now, the psalmist, looking back in history, wrote this bit of of scripture. Notice, please, chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with this generation, the generation in the wilderness. I was provoked with them and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have a heart problem. They have not known my ways. They have not 
tested or have not proven and not become confident of my ways and trust me to keep my promises. So in my wrath I swore they will not enter into my rest. The historic experience described in the psalm is Kadesh Barnea. The people had come out of Egypt. They had seen Pharaoh's army floating face down when the floodwaters came back at the Red Sea. They had eaten manna. They had found God faithful to provide water for them when there was no water anyplace else. They had all these experiences, and they went all the way to Mount Sinai, and there they stood in awe and watched God come down to the mountain. They saw Moses go up and come down several times. They rebelled at the foot of the mountain, told Aaron, make us a god. As for this man Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. You remember that? Why? Because though Moses, led by God, could get them out of Egypt, he couldn't get Egypt out of them. And these people, every time they faced a problem or a situation, they whined, they complained, they grumbled, they resisted God. That's what the psalmist is telling us. And God says, I know what you're doing. You don't trust me. Ten times, ten times you have faced problems, and instead of trusting me and saying, Father, provide as you will, you grumbled and complained and threatened to go back to Egypt. Ten times you've done that. Well, the tenth time they did it was when God took them from the base of Mount Sinai up to a little place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is actually, actually on the southern border of the Promised Land. And then God told Moses, I want you to pick 12 men to go in and spy out the land. They did. They came back. Two of them said, ah, the land is full of giants and walled cities. Well, look at the magnificent fruit they have up there. Let's go take the land. Ten of the spies said, we can't do that. We're not able. We'll put in jeopardy our families, our children. So they refused to enter the land, and they turned and were going to kill Moses. God interrupted, told him to turn around and go back to the wilderness. Now, had they gone into the land at that moment, they would have saved themselves 38 years of wandering. And God was provoked. And God told them, you adults, anyone 20 years of age and older, you will not enter the land. I forbid it. You will die in the wilderness. And that's why they wandered for 38 more years. Well, the writer of Scripture says it's, a, it's, a, it's an awful thing to fall into the hands of God in his anger. Awful thing. And they did. That whole generation, 
died in the wilderness. Why? What was the problem? Problem was they didn't believe. They didn't have faith. They refused to trust God and put their full dependence and confidence in Him. They were constantly challenging God. God would show them another sign, another sign, another sign, another sign, another sign, another sign. And before they, before the sign was actually finished, they were rebelling against God again. So God said, okay, you're not going in. Now that leads the writer of Hebrews to make the challenge with which we close tonight. And here it is. Watch out, verse 12. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. Evil, unbelieving. That word unbelieving means non-faithful, having no faith in the true God. Therefore, doing what Adam and Eve did, trying to find a place to hide from God departing from the living God. This is such a serious thing that every day, constantly, we are to be encouraging one another so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. The great value of Hebrews is it tells us, it tells us the danger of not being people of faith. If we are not willing to trust God, then we're thrust back upon our own devices, the counsel and wisdom of somebody else, whatever it may be. When we refuse to put our faith in God, surrender to Him, and commit to that, when we, when we refuse to commit to God and pursue Him, then we're going to drift away from God. We're going to depart from the living God. And in that departure, our hearts, our souls, are going to become hardened and hardened and hardened and harder until we won't hear the Spirit of God when He speaks to warn us. That's the second warning. And what it says to us tonight is, all of us in this room are living either on the basis of faith in God's promises and interpreting the future based upon God's promises and what He says he will do. We are either walking today based upon what he said he did for us in the past, what he promises he will do for us now, what he will. We're either walking in that, growing in that, or we're retrograding. Our hearts are becoming harder and sensitive. We're becoming less and less concerned about sin. We're becoming more and more accommodating to our own personal selfishness and to the mores of those around us. You remember the story of Lot. And it tells us that Lot was a just man. It's hard to believe. It also tells us that Lot, in accommodating himself to the vices and the society, of Sodom made himself sick, made himself weak. He became insensitive to sin. 
So much so that when two angels are standing in his, in his house saying, what? We can't deal with this city and its sin as long as you stay here. And he still refused to move. And the text tells us that the two angels grabbed the hand of Lot and his wife and their two daughters, unmarried daughters, and drugged them, drugged them out of the city. See, that's Lot in his absolute weakened and hardened condition. He is so comfortable in Sodom and perhaps he recognizes that his compromise certainly has affected his other daughters and sons-in-law because they laugh when Lot goes and says, we got to get out of here. The text tells us his sons-in-law thought him to be mocking, thought of him as foolish. Dad was saying something that was absolutely inconsistent with his own lifestyle and choices. You follow me? Now, Lot didn't get there in an hour. Lot didn't get there in a day. He didn't get there in a week. But he was in the process of getting there from the very moment he set his heart on living in Sodom. He departed from the true God and chose his companions and set the course for his future. Lot's a terrible story, but it's a story that each of us have the capacity to duplicate. Departing from the living God because our hearts are not filled with faith, because we're not anchored and rooted in what God has said. We're not taking God seriously. We're not, we're not uh, believing and behaving what God says in his word. Instead, we're taking our signals from those around us. And that lack of faith in our hearts leads to a departing from God, a drifting away from God, an accommodation of ourselves to the standards of those around us who don't know God, who are not interested in God, who have no confession of faith in God. And our hearts become hardened insensitive to the sensibilities of God's word. And what happens eventually? We miss it. We miss it. In Lot's case, the Bible tells us that he was a justified man. So you can expect to see Lot in heaven. His wife won't be there. Neither of his unmarried daughters will be there. He would have lost everything. Why? Because Lot toyed with God's promises. Foolish decision. But how about me? How about you? Can my neighbor explain my life as, well, yeah, he's just an average American Senior citizen, nothing peculiar about him, nothing different about him. Now, that's a very personal question, and you owe me no answer for it.
But the answer to that question will determine your future. And the answer to that question, in the case of Lot, he not only lost his family, he lost rest. And that's what the rest of the chapter talks about. They could not enter into God's rest. Our Father in heaven, getting to heaven is such a simple and from our standpoint, very uncomplicated matter. Forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, the indwelling spirit, all of that is a gift of grace. We can't earn it. We can't improve upon it. We can't manufacture it for ourselves. We can't produce it for ourselves or others. It's a gift that you offer based upon who Jesus is and what he did. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a gift, a gift. He also said, if we want that rest, we need to take his yoke upon us. We need to believe his promises. We need to commit to his promises. We need to behave his promises if we want to enter into his rest. It's easy for us to sit here tonight, Father, and to think how foolish those, those Hebrews were back there in the wilderness. They never got it. They never got it. Ten times and multiply day after day after day. They saw you provide for them. They saw you keep them. They saw you protect them. And every time, every time, they refused to trust you. Your miracles of provision never penetrated their unbelieving hardened hearts. So they died short of experiencing all that you had promised and offered to provide for them. How different history would have been, Father, if, if they had just believed your promise that you would take them into the land flowing with milk and honey you would provide the way, you would overcome the enemies, you would settle them, and you would protect them and bless them. You said that to them time after time after time. And they just smiled and ignored you. Help us not to do that. And help us, Father, to encourage each other to be men and women of faith. Give us the ability to talk comfortably about issues of faith, lessons we're learning about obedience and trust. Help us not to, help us not to ever doubt your promise, regardless what we face. and help us to live as those who know those promises
and are enjoying a relationship with the one who made the promises that is eternal and real. Now, Father, if, if this should sound strange to someone listening, I pray that you'd bring them back to Jesus, back to Calvary. Bring them, bring them back to the place where God himself, in the person we call Jesus, took their place and paid the full debt for all their sins, secured peace for them with their God and Creator, and offers them eternal life. My friend, if your heart is troubled, you may not understand. At some level, you will someday. But for now, the thing you need to most understand is that if you will receive Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross in your place and rose from the grave about 2,000 years ago now, he lives. If you will invite him into your heart and surrender to him as your Savior and your Lord, he will give you life eternal life, forgiveness of sins, peace, joy, and an inheritance in heaven forever. He really means that. And I trust, I trust you'll trust him and ask him to come into your life. Then share that decision with someone you know loves Jesus and let them help you grow to learn more and more about this wonderful, wonderful person we call Jesus. Now, Father, thank you for your word. Help us to grasp it, learn from it, and help others as they too seek to know and understand your mind and your plan. Thank you for this group. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Under Moses, the people of God were not people of faith. Not most of them, not most of the time. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to apply their lesson to ourselves. Yes, we've been delivered from Egypt, that is the world. We've gone through the Red Sea of baptism. Okay, we need to be careful of our hearts out here in the wilderness. Today, Jim closed his message, The Problem Moses Couldn't Solve. You can get the entire sermon on CD for a gift of $7 or more. It belongs to our study of Hebrews called God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. The entire series of 19 talks will come to you in a CD album for your offering of $66 or more. Right Start is here every weekday because listeners like you find us worthy of support. They do the important work of praying for us and sending money to pay the bills and we wish we could honor them as much as they honor us. The more people who help, the further we can extend our reach. Thanks for considering that. If you'd like to pitch in, please write us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And find us on the internet at rightstartradio.org. 
There you can play Right Start radio programs, or you can listen to complete sermons without the broadcast edits. We'll show you how to subscribe to the podcast in the Apple environment. You can email us. You can make a secure donation all on the website, rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. When we meet again, we'll talk about rest. That's a topic that should appeal to just about everyone these days. Have a great weekend, and please join us on Monday for the next Right Start. Right Start.